Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Judges chapters 13 and 14 from the World English Bible. The children of Israel again did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight, and Yahweh delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and childless. Yahweh's angel appeared to the woman and said to her, See now, you are barren and childless, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be aware and drink no wine nor strong drink, and don't eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. No razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He shall begin to save Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his face was like the face of the angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he was from, neither did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink. Don't eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated Yahweh and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we should do to the child who shall be born. God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, wasn't with her. The woman hurried and ran and told her husband, saying to him, Behold, the man who came to me that day has appeared to me. Manoah arose and followed his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to my wife? He said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words happen. What shall the child's way of life and mission be? Yahweh's angel said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her beware. She may not eat of anything that comes of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded her. Manoah said to Yahweh's angel, Please stay with us, that we may make a young goat ready for you. Yahweh's angel said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I won't eat your bread. If you will prepare a burnt offering, you must offer it to Yahweh. For Manoah didn't know that he was Yahweh's angel. Manoah said to Yahweh's angel, What is your name, that when your words happen we may honor you? Yahweh's angel said to him, Why do you ask about my name, since it is incomprehensible? So Manoah took the young goat with the meal offering and offered it on the rock to Yahweh. 
Then the angel did an amazing thing as Manoah and his wife watched. For when the flame went up toward the sky from off the altar, Yahweh's angel ascended in the flame of the altar. Manoah and his wife watched, and they fell on their faces to the ground. But Yahweh's angel didn't appear to Manoah or to his wife any more. Then Manoah knew that he was Yahweh's angel. Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If Yahweh were pleased to kill us, he wouldn't have received a burnt offering and a meal offering at our hand, and he wouldn't have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. The woman bore a son and named him Samson. The child grew, and Yahweh blessed him. Yahweh's spirit began to move him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. He came up and told his father and his mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as my wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Isn't there a woman among your brother's daughters or among all my people that you go to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and his mother didn't know that it was of Yahweh, for he sought an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and his mother, and came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion roared at him. Yahweh's spirit came mightily on him, and he tore him as he would have torn a young goat with his bare hands. But he didn't tell his father or his mother what he had done. He went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After a while he returned to take her, and he went over to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and honey. He took it into his hands and went on, eating as he went. He came to his father and mother and gave to them, and they ate. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey out of the lion's body. His father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there for the young men used to do so. When they saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. Samson said to them, Let me tell you a riddle now. If you can tell me the answer within the seven days of the feast, and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. But if you can't tell me the answer, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. They said to him, Tell us your riddle, that we may hear it. He said to them, Out of the eater came out food, out of the strong came out sweetness. They couldn't in three days declare the riddle. On the seventh day they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband, that he may declare to us the riddle, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you called us to impoverish us? Isn't that so? Samson's wife wept before him and said, You just hate me and don't love me. 
You've told a riddle to the children of my people and haven't told it to me. He said to her, Behold, I haven't told my father or my mother, so why should I tell you? She wept before him the seven days while their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him severely, and she told the riddle to the children of her people. The men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? He said to them, If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have found out my riddle. Yahweh's spirit came mightily on him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck thirty men of them. He took their plunder, then gave the changes of clothing to those who declared the riddle. His anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his friend. That's the end of chapter 14. I'd like to highlight a couple of things as well as talk a little bit more about this Nazarite vow that's mentioned. First, a couple of things indicate that this angel of Yahweh was actually what's called a theophany or a presentation of Christ in the Old Testament. And the two things that stand out to me that seem to indicate that is one, when Manoah asks his name and he says it's incomprehensible, or another possible translation in the notes is it is wonderful. In other places in the Bible, when angels appear, they usually give their names by way of introduction. And then there is the way the angel ascends in the flame of the altar. Recall that Manoah didn't know this was Yahweh's angel, and based on Yahweh's angel's reply to him, his offer of the young goat was an offering of a burnt offering, and Yahweh's trying to point him to the fact that he shouldn't just be randomly making offerings to something that he doesn't know, but in rising up in the flame of the offering like that, it's like Yahweh is claiming the offering as his own and declaring who he is. It's curious to compare this story to the story of when Elizabeth became pregnant. She had been barren. This is in the New Testament. Um, She's the mother of John the Baptist, right? And there, the angel of the Lord actually appeared to the father-to-be, Zacharias. But in this case, in Judges with Samson's parents, even though Manoah asks for this man of God to show up again, he shows up to the wife again. At the end of chapter 13, when you compare Manoah's reaction to the idea that he had seen God to his wife's words, you can see that she seems to be the one who has a better idea of who God is and what God is like. It's also interesting to note this recurring theme of a woman being barren and childless to apparently emphasize that the birth of this child is a particular act of God. You see that with Sarah giving birth to Isaac, with Rebecca giving birth to the twins, with Hannah giving birth to Samuel, and with Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist. It all seems to pave the way for the idea of the virgin birth, that God is the creator of life where it is not naturally happening. Now, regarding the fact that Samson is going to be a Nazarite from birth, you need to go back to Numbers chapter 6. In verse 2, you have the basics of what this means. Let me read it to you. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, 
And then on through verse 7, it describes exactly how their life will be different while they are partaking in this vow, which is what Yahweh's angel summarizes to Samson's mother and how his life will be after he is born. Now, I looked up the word Nazarite, and it is apparently just an English variation of the word in Hebrew that means separated unto the Lord. So this is something that someone can choose to do. It is mentioned in both Amos chapter 2, verse 11, and Lamentations chapter 4, verse 7. The way that John the Baptist's life is described, it's basically a Nazarite vow kind of life, even though nothing is translated as Nazarite in the English in the New Testament about him. And in Acts chapter 21, we seem to have Paul taking part in the Nazarite vow. Finally, I'd like to read a short section from the commentary by Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown that I think explains all of this pretty well. When either man or woman shall vow a vow of a Nazarite, that is, a separated one, from a Hebrew word to separate, it was used to designate a class of persons who, under the impulse of extraordinary piety and with a view to higher degrees of religious improvement, voluntarily renounced the occupations and pleasures of the world to dedicate themselves unreservedly to the divine service. The vow might be taken by either sex, provided they had the disposal of themselves. And just let me interject there that that is probably a reference to Numbers chapter 30, where it talks about a father being able to nullify a daughter's vow. So back to the quote. The vow might be taken for a limited period of time. We do not know, perhaps, the whole extent of abstinence they practiced, but they separated themselves from three things in particular, namely from wine and all the varieties of vinous produce, from the application of a razor to their head, allowing their hair to grow, and from pollution by a dead body. The reasons of the self-restrictions are obvious. The use of wine tended to inflame the passions, intoxicate the brain, and create a taste for luxurious indulgence. The cutting off the hair being a recognized sign of uncleanness, its unpolled luxuriance was a symbol of the purity he professed. Besides, its extraordinary length kept him in constant remembrance of his vow, as well as stimulated others to imitate his pious example. Moreover, contact with a dead body disqualifying for the divine service, the Nazarite carefully avoided such a cause of unfitness and, like the high priest, did not assist at the funeral rites of his nearest relatives, preferring his duty to God to the indulgence of his strongest natural affections. So that's the end of that quote. It is interesting to note that similar restrictions were not given to John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, like they were given to Samson's mother, and they also certainly weren't given to Mary, and there's no indication at all that Jesus took any kind of Nazarite vow. At the end of the designated time of the vow, which again seems to be completely within control of the person who is making the vow, there were certain offerings that were supposed to be made. One source suggested that these are a reminder that there was nothing in this vow that was doing any sort of work to bring atonement, but that the person still came before God by faith following the ways that God said to come before him. But it also involved thankfulness and worship and free will offering. 
and they cut their hair and burned it. They didn't shave their head like lepers had to do or like they had to do if they accidentally got defiled in the middle of their vows. They just had to cut their hair back to normal. So there are some obvious questions regarding Samson and this lifelong Nazarite vow. One comes up with the lion, which was a dead carcass. He shouldn't have been touching that, and I think he knew it. Throughout the story, we get the impression that he understood what the vow of the Nazarite was. But also, since the vow didn't end in his lifetime, there was not the offering of sacrifices at the end of the vow, unless you count what happened to him at the end of the story. But that's in the next reading. Thanks for listening. See you next time. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey.